Well, can I add my welcome to Daniel's this morning? Thank you so much for tuning in to be with us. We're just moving towards meeting together in person at the moment. Daniel will tell you more about that later. But for the foreseeable future, we'll be producing these services for you to watch online, as we know that many people aren't able to get out and about at the moment. Can I particularly say, if you're new to Liverpool, welcome. Even though we're constrained at this time, we've got numerous ways we could connect with you. So if that's something you'd like to do, please keep a lookout for that at the end of the service. And this morning we're looking at the book of Daniel, which has nothing to do with Daniel who's leading our service. And now is the moment that if you've got a Bible on your phone or one lying around your house, it would be great if you could switch it on or open it up and look up Daniel chapter 4. If you've got children watching with you, now is the moment to give them their worksheets to do or some colouring or some Lego or some snacks. Um, or a gag and um, some cable ties. And uh, now is the moment for that while you get to concentrate on what we are doing together. And before we do that, I'm going to pray. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, so much for this book of Daniel. Thank you for all that it teaches us about you. And we pray that as your dominion endures from generation to generation, that in our generation, you would help us to live under your rule. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me start by telling you about uh, once, a few years ago, uh, when such things were still allowed, I used to meet early Friday morning to pray with a small group of other guys from church. And we used to sit in the cold cafe at our church centre, Blackburn Place. Our breath would often be uh, steam. We'd huddle over black coffees together because none of us ever remembered to bring in milk. We always forgot that and we used to pray together for an hour every Friday morning, just two or three of us. Now opposite Blackburn Place, out of the window of the cafe that we were praying in, we can see this really brilliant, well-funded, well-respected, entirely secular community business building. And on those cold mornings, we'd see people going in to do their important work, helping people, earning grants, taking photos with the mayor. Some of them used to look through the window at us, three or four guys with our eyes closed, shivering, saying words, but into look, looks like into the air. And what they were doing seemed so important and significant compared to what we were doing, which seemed a bit stupid and pointless. They were the impressive, important organisation really helping people. And we, it seemed, were the silly people who believe there's something important to be done by sitting and praying. Yet, some of the people we prayed for in that cold room, they, over time, ended up trusting Jesus. Those people had everything they had done wrong forgiven by Jesus. People we prayed for. The prayers we prayed made a difference, foolish as they seemed. Not just in this life, but, but for eternity. They had eternal significance. We looked so small, so humble, so weak. But what we prayed changed things. Now, there's no criticism at all there of the community centre's work. 
It is an amazing centre that people benefit from. But the call of Daniel chapter 4 is to say, no matter how impressive and even beneficial those great things that don't know God are, you should bank on and commit yourselves to the weak and foolish and stupid looking things that will grow for eternity, no matter how weak they seem. Let's get back to our story of the book of Daniel. We've met a dictator, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Let's call him Nezer because that's easier for me to say. And just to be clear, Nezer is nothing like the, the lovely people from the community centre. Um, Nezer was, in fact, a genocidal dictator. You might remember in chapter 2, he had a dream that Daniel interpreted for him about a gold statue that God would bring down to nothing. And Daniel had to say to him, Nezer, that's you. You're the gold statue that God will bring down to nothing. What did Nebuchadnezzar do in chapter 3? He built a gold statue of himself and said everybody had to bow down and worship it. And maybe it was because he was insecure. He knew his statue would fall in the end. In chapter 3, we've just read, he was incensed with rage when three people who knew the real God wouldn't bow down to the statue. He tried to have them burned alive. Well, in chapter 3, God miraculously rescued those people. And he seemed, by the end of that chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, Nezer as we call him, to come to some sort of belief in their God, the God of the Bible. He seemed to clock that that God was real. But if you look at the end of chapter 3, he was still threatening to cut up people into little pieces. He still thought he was right to rule everybody and kill them if they don't do what he says. So he had some belief in the God of the Bible, but I would say not functional faith. But look at the start of chapter 4 that we had read today. Nezer seems to have had a personality transplant. Chapter 4 is his letter to every person in the world. Did you see that, verses 1 and 2? And it says, everybody in the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. The Most High God. Gosh, he's gone from wanting to torture people for worshipping God to sharing something good with everybody in the world. And he's gone from demanding that everybody worship him to telling everybody in the world they should be worshipping the Most High God. What a change. He's gone from angrily demanding everyone bow down to him or die to wishing peace on everyone and recommending that they bow to someone higher than him. Well, over the next two weeks, we'll be looking at this story in chapter four of how this huge about turn came about for Nezer. How did the most powerful, arrogant, self-obsessed person in the world, this person who was torturing everybody else with his megalomania, how did he turn around to promoting someone else, not himself, and really wanting the benefit of everybody else? He learned what we're going to learn in chapter 4, that God will bring down kingdoms, 
even if they are useful kingdoms that do good for people, he will bring them down if they are built on pride. And he is replacing God. Every kingdom that is built on pride, on human achievement, he is replacing every one of those kingdoms with a kingdom built on humility that goes forward by humble, feeble-looking acts. But that kingdom will last forever. So here's the first thing we see. A tree that everyone can see. If you've been with us in this series, you might remember Nezer has a history of accurate dreams, but he can't understand them. And Daniel has a history of explaining those dreams to Nebuchadnezzar so he can understand them and they turn out to be accurate. And putting together in this story the, the dream and Daniel's explanation of the dream, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that God is telling Nezer something. See his dream. His dream's about himself. He is the greatest king in the world, a tree that reaches up to heaven. And the leaves and the fruit of that tree were good. And that was true. Remember, while Nezer was not a stable person at all, a terrible dictator, this empire, the Babylonian empire, stretched through lands that were previously just lots of little tribes fighting each other. And so Nebuchadnezzar, evil as he was, the systems he set up meant more people were safe and fed and at peace than they had been before. Now, don't get me wrong, there was no aim for justice from him, but it was a kingdom producing leaves and fruit. It, it kept the world going. Also, all sorts of people found shade and shelter through this stability that Nezer brought to the region. And that was in his dream as well. Beasts finding shade, burst nesting in the branches. Led as it was by this proud and wicked man, he provided a place where some people were safe. He had become, through his cruel rule, a point of stability for the whole known world. And you and I might have thought, well, then he's too big to fail, isn't he? But the point of us hearing about this dream from Nezer after the event is uh, that the dream underlines what everybody would have thought looking at him, which is this. He can never be humbled. He is too strong and powerful to be brought down. The idea of the world changing because Nezer disappears, it's, it's unthinkable. Particularly Daniel and his friends probably would have thought that. They were exiles. They were people from a foreign country forced to live under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. They kept on worshipping their God, but that was a God that nobody around them worshipped. They lived in a system that was against their beliefs in every way. How could they possibly imagine that system being humbled or cast down? It was a tree the whole world could see, and the whole world relied on it being stable. I guess as they hid in their rooms, perhaps as they quietly tuned in to the YouTube sermon from Jerusalem on Sunday, as they privately worshipped God, that was comforting to them. But the idea that their faith in their God 
which seemed like such a minority interest, that that faith could have any impact on this huge tree, this godless system on which the whole world depended, the idea that their faith could impact that, it seemed crazy. Nevertheless, what we have seen this small band of friends do is not assume or work on the assumption that Nezer's in charge. They have worked on the assumption that obeying their God's rule in a world that all the evidence suggests that Nezer is in charge, even though all the evidence suggests that Nezer is ruling them, they are still going to live on the assumption that it's better to obey their God's rule. If you look at them in this letter, they don't hide at home watching YouTube. Neither do they compromise with this evil world that Nezer has invented. They live right in the centre of the world where Nezer rules, but they live obeying God. And they did that, even though it looked like the world that Nezer was building would never fall. And Nezer's dream says to them, oh, someday it will fall. Someday that tree that looks so impressive will be chopped on. Now, I live a cloistered life. <laughs> I don't deny that. I work for a church and hence I work with colleagues who all love Jesus. So it might seem easy for me to say this. But the point of this dream, the point of the exiles hearing it, and the point for you today if you're a Christian, is this. Do not give in to thinking that that most powerful person or system squeezing you to give up what you believe do not think that system is really all that powerful. Live in the middle of a system where the rulers hate God, but still obey God rather than the system. Now I get that's much easier for me to do than it is for many of you watching. You guys are the real heroes of the church because you have to go out outside the Christian bubble I live in and live there when places that are really run by people who hate God and live there obeying God instead of those people. But I want to call you, as Nezer says at the start, that he learned, I want to call you to remember this, that while some trees may be very great, only God has a kingdom that lasts forever. And therefore the best thing to do is always to obey him over the people who seem to have power over you. Even if you find, as Daniel Friends did, that that gets you into real trouble. Um, as we've been doing this series in Daniel, and this has come up a lot, several people have come to me and, and said to me, I really agree with what you're saying about how Christians should be. I'd like to learn more about how to do that. I've been reading Daniel and I want to discover how to be Daniel in the godless place where I work or live. And the thing that I've discovered in having those conversations is in our church family there are so many people already doing it. 
There are people in our church responding with gentleness and respect to the irrational and uncaring demands of their bosses. That's right, living under God's rule instead of their rule. There are people gently but firmly speaking up for grace and kindness in an environment where a manager has created a toxic space where everyone hates each other. That's living under God's rule, not their rule. There are people in our church family refusing to do something dishonest, even when their employer threatens them with redundancy. That's it, isn't it? It's living under God's rule instead of the rule of the powerful person who has real power over you. And I would say if you want wisdom on really taking Nezer's dream seriously, really believing the most powerful tree is not as intimidating as it seems, you're very welcome to talk to me. But really, I'd, well, I would tell you, you should really talk to each other. So many people are doing it. If that's you doing that at the moment, the point of Nezer's dream is to say, of the biggest tree in the world, is to say, it may look silly from the outside, but you're right, you're wise, you're not stupid to live under God's rule, no matter how big the tree is, you can see. Because a tree that this tree that the whole world can see is ruined by pride. It's ruined by pride. Did you see in the story, the tree is chopped down and that is a warning to Nezer that he will not go on being in charge of his own kingdom forever. In fact, it says, you, Nezer, a human being, will be forced to live like an animal in order to humble you, in order to show you your view of yourself is not right and you need to be brought down. Now, that's a very fitting warning. People, no matter how powerful they are in our world, we are made to be God reflectors rather than God replacers. We are made to submit to God and show what he's like, not to rule in his place. We are made to find out what he's like and show the world that, not control our own lives. So there's nothing wrong per se with powerful people. There's nothing evil about systems and governments. No matter how frustrated we may be with them sometimes, perhaps even right at this moment, governments provide safety and stability and places for us to stay safe in a very messed up world. There's nothing wrong with that in any particular way, but the problem with people who have power is that they often begin to think they are God. They begin to think because God has given them this rule to bring stability with their influence, they begin to think they're actually in charge and that is dehumanizing. They actually become less than God made them to be because we're not made to be God being in charge. We're made to reflect God, to submit to him and show what he's like. Now, I reckon you know that's true in your own life. People who know that God is in charge and they're not really in charge and that their job is to reflect him in the world, those people tend to be peacemaking and generous and patient 
the people who think it's really their job to run everything in the world, that people should respect them, that they need to show that they're in charge, well, they are less human, aren't they? Less what we think a really functional human being should be. And soon as gets told, if you continue to try and be God, rather than reflect God, you'll be sent to behave like an animal for a while. Your desire for power controls you, rather than a desire to worship and reflect God, well, then you are an animal. You're not in God's image as you're made to be. And even though the whole known world depended on him, God was not going to let him go on forever. It is not okay for leaders to go on in pride, thinking they are God. No one is too big to fail in that way. If you want a clue uh, that we are not made to be in charge, there's a clue in what Daniel says that Nezer needs to do. Right at the end of the bit we have, had read verse 27 Daniel says to him and therefore your majesty be pleased to accept my advice renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed it seems that while Nezer provided stability he was not being kind to those who needed his help most he wasn't being kind to the oppressed and that's true about any person who really thinks they are the source of their own power, rather than owing it to God, they always end up crushing the weakest and oppressing people. It just doesn't seem possible sometimes to read a biography of someone who's done good in the world without finding out that behind closed doors they were less than we thought. I was reading a biography recently of someone, I don't want to name them because I don't want to be slanderous, but someone who in the world is viewed as a sort of paragon of goodness. But behind closed doors, she was exceptionally cruel to the people who worked for her. No matter how good it looks like what you're doing, what stability you're providing for everybody else, if you really think you are in charge, you will end up oppressing and abusing the weakest people. The truth is no one, no matter how capable, how respected, how much they have got where they are through their own brilliance, nobody generates their own power. Power is borrowed from God who rules over everything. And the less that people acknowledge their power is borrowed, the more likely they are to abuse the power that they've been given because they really believe they're in charge. There are so many ways that applies to us today. We even have a saying, don't we? Pride comes before a fall. We know that puffing yourself up and using your power will eventually lead to you being brought down. Nezer's story is saying, if you are living this life where you achieve things and then admire them and your own ability to do things, you are on shaky ground. You will be brought down eventually. And that's not just a natural law. God will bring down in the end people and systems and structures who think they're the source of their own power. 
And I wouldn't dare to suggest I have a direct line to God um, about anything that's going on in the world at the moment. But I would say this, it could well be this powerlessness we're now experiencing in our world where even the greatest minds and the most powerful people can't solve this pandemic we find ourselves in, well, maybe God is using this moment to show us, to show our culture that we're all a lot less powerful than we thought. Because let's face it, we were a very proud culture. Maybe you're listening to this and you're basically making a success of life. You're facing life with your own resources and you think you're doing fine. But the truth about you is you're made to be a God reflector, not a God replacer. The more you behave like you are God, like you're in charge, the less human you'll be, the more you will crush and stand on people who don't matter to you. And sooner or later, I warn you, God will humble you. But really, I think the message, if you are a believer in Jesus, is this. We must not be intimidated by the proud claims of people who rule us. We must not think that that self-sufficient, intimidating boss doesn't really need to hear about Jesus because they have it all together. We shouldn't say, oh, well, everybody in my workplace works at this pace. I will have to work at it too. Even if it means skimping on Christian things I think are important. We don't give in to that, no matter how intimidating the system is. We don't panic when every move our government makes seems to be incorrect and foolish. Because the mighty will fall. Their power is only borrowed from God. We do not let them control our lives. I have been reading a bit recently about some people who were war criminals. That is, they were part of terrible regimes that did awful things and now they're being brought to justice. Now, reading stories about those war criminals, I have to say, I don't think it's that many of them are really, in essence, much more evil than me or you. They just thought this regime they were in would last forever. They just thought it's okay to do something really bad because I have to do it for this person or scheme that looks so powerful now. But of course, whatever that was, Nazism or a regime that is ethnic cleansing or um, North Korea, well, it only takes time for them to discover that that regime did not last forever and they were foolish to let that regime shape them into doing things that were wrong. And Nezer's dream says that to all of us. Don't bow down to the regime that's passing. You need to have the perspective that it won't last, this arrogant system, and so you don't submit to it. Here's the third thing we see, a tree that everyone can see planted by humility. Here's something interesting. Jesus stole this story from the book of Daniel. I say stole. <laughs> we do actually believe that Jesus is the same God who revealed this to Daniel. 
Um, it is that same God of the Old Testament who was Jesus in human form. So it was his story to take, so I shouldn't really say stolen. But he told a story, Daniel read it to us earlier, of a kingdom that the whole world will see. He called it the kingdom of God. And he said it would be like a tree and the birds of the world would rest in its branches. Which is still gloriously true today that people from everywhere, of all types, whoever they are, whatever they've done, whatever they're like, they're all welcomed to God, sheltered, helped, loved, looked after in this tree that is God's kingdom. That's the lovely offer Jesus is making. If you trust in Jesus to put you right with God, there is a very happy space for you, a branch in this amazing growing tree. But maybe that doesn't sound appealing because the people who sheltered under Nezer's tree, they kind of had to do it because this crazy, power-hungry leader did what he wanted. And so the offer from Jesus to shelter in his tree might not look that appealing. But Jesus' point in his story about the big tree being the kingdom of God is that that big tree grows from the smallest seed. Nezer's tree grew to be seen by the whole world by Nezer himself, I guess, being this huge, strong, military tree trunk enforcing his part of the world. Oh, he brought stability, but the cost was dictatorship. You were safe if you stayed on the right side of his crazy moods. Jesus' tree grows to be far bigger and far longer lasting than Nebuchadnezzar's, but it grows from the smallest seed. And what that is a picture of is this, that Jesus never lived in a palace like Nebuchadnezzar that could be admired. Jesus never, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, set up something about himself to be praised by everybody. He grew up in a backwater of a huge empire. He walked dusty streets talking to poor people. Jesus humbled himself to die, to take the punishment for what everybody else had done wrong. I don't know whether you've ever worked with a very poor boss. A poor boss will never own their own mistakes. A really, really great boss will not only own their own mistakes, but will carry the weaknesses of the team on themselves rather than blaming or punishing. The reason we value leadership like that is because Jesus stands as the towering figure over our culture. Jesus, who was God himself, humbling himself to become the poorest, weakest human and pay the cost of what everyone else got wrong. We know that the humility of leaders, not promoting themselves, is good because Jesus' tree remains the biggest, most influential tree in the world. All sorts of people today still finding shelter there from his tree that was planted with the small seed of his humble death. And that tree founded on humility will never be cut down by God, but will grow and grow and grow, offering space and rest for those who want it. 
And the kingdom, that kingdom, the kingdom of God planted by Jesus' death, that tiny seed, it grows in that same Jesus-y way. As people who've trusted in him, it doesn't grow God's kingdom by us getting the best positions of power. It doesn't grow by having the most famous Christian celebrities or getting Christian politicians who into power. A mistake that a lot of people seem to be making today. The kingdom of God does not grow by getting someone into leadership who will defend our interests. The kingdom grows in the Jesus-y way of humble, unseen, non-power-seeking actions. The tree that will never be cut down grows as people like you take on the weight of a messed up world on yourself. It goes forward through the tiny, insignificant seeds of three guys praying in a room with black coffee, not even any milk, in the shadow of a well-heeled, successful community organisation, it goes forth quietly, humbly, mustard seed-like. So the kingdom that will never be chopped on, that kingdom is growing as you are kind to your annoying neighbour. You humble yourself. As you cover a colleague's work, putting them before you. As you do what's right in the darkest place, taking the weight of that on yourself like Jesus. Now, when we compromise as Christians, it's rare. Sometimes there's a big scandal because somebody has, like, cheated someone else out of a million pounds. But most of the compromises we make are quite small. I'll just, a little white lie here, a little cheat there, little sort of something to cover myself there. And that's because we think, oh, those so small, those compromises, no one will notice. They won't make any difference. So God won't mind. But here's what this story is saying, Jesus' parable is saying, it's the small, humble submissions to the rule of the eternal kingdom. In those little areas that we don't think matter, that's how God's rule goes forward, how the tree grows bigger and bigger, just like the unseen, the poor, the humble Jesus. So Nezer, what he says in verses 2 and 3 is right. There is a rule, a kingdom above his. Unlike his rule, that kingdom will last forever. And that means you are right every time you obey the call of that king over the impressive rulers of our day. But just to be clear, it's a very different type of kingdom. It's not the same kind of tree at all. It's bigger and longer lasting and will never be chopped down, but it is planted by the smallest seed, humble Jesus dying for everyone. And it grows, it draws people to rest in its shade simply through the persistent, humble choices to put others first of those who follow Jesus. And if you want to know how to put that into practice, we have a very good model here in the person of Daniel. And really what Daniel's story says to us is, if you do the hard thing of living under God's rule instead of Nezer's rule, who knows 
what might happen. All I have said about Nezer's kingdom here, that it's godless and it's proud, it could sound like a manifesto for people to attack and bring down and rebel against this unjust kingdom. Might, some people might have heard me saying these unjust rulers, they need to be assassinated and brought down. That's not what Daniel has been doing. Did you notice that in the book? Oh, Daniel has lived in this kingdom. He has stood up for what is right. He has spoken truth. But he is on the side of and determined to be a blessing to even this wicked king. Did you see when he understands the interpretation of the dream in verse 19, he says, oh, if only the dream applied to your enemies. His determination to live for the real kingdom, God's kingdom, is matched or perhaps is even played out by his concern and love for the people in Nezer's kingdom. Perhaps even very wicked people that he lives and works amongst now, like Nezer himself. Living out God's rule in Nezer's kingdom is loving the wicked people in Nezer's kingdom because God loves wicked people, doesn't he? And in this moment, the most loving thing to do is to tell the truth with care and gentleness and honesty. Note, this doesn't come from nowhere. Daniel has established himself as a trustworthy, as a spiritual person, long before he gets the chance to speak clearly to Nebuchadnezzar and warn him to humble himself. But when the opportunity comes, he doesn't hold back from telling him the difficult truth. And he's motivated by care and concern for Nezer. Remember this dictator who wanted to burn his friends alive. You see, in this world we're currently living in, this world that is going mad, it's crazy at the moment, isn't it? Everything is going bonkers. Nothing we thought was secure is actually secure. But in this mad world, we have a chance. If we live under God's rule, in the care of Jesus' humble kingdom, if we do the acts of humility to move forward, if we put loyalty to God before loyalty to a human leader, well, we are going to end up in some pretty scary situations, like Daniel having to tell this crazy dictator that he's going to be chopped on. We'll end up in some difficult, awkward places. But we will have the chance to bring change by loving our enemies. You know, if you can live in Nezer's kingdom, wherever that is for you, but under the rule of a God who loves his enemies and whose kingdom goes forward by humility, you'll become known, like Daniel, as a spiritual person. If you get on with living out the humble values of the kingdom, you really belong to, like Daniel, terrifying but amazing doors will open for you to, with love, tell people the hard truth about where they stand with God and what they need to do about that. 
these mad days bring with them an amazing opportunity to live under God's rule right in the middle of a world that thinks it's ruled by Nezer. We said throughout this series that as a Christian faced with having to live in a world ruled in a very unchristian way, whether that's a workplace or a country um, or a family, there's two temptations for Christians. One is to withdraw, just do Christian things, say, oh yes, the rugby club, they're a bit rough, they drink too much, I'll just go to the Christian union. Or to compromise, to be like, oh well, I wouldn't want to look like an odd person, so I'll join in with everything the world is doing. But if we don't do that, if we get involved right in the centre of the godless world, but live there under God's rule, what we'll be is like, you know, an ambassador from a different, more beautiful, amazing world where humility is what matters. How people are longing for that living water of seeing there's an alternative universe where putting others first is what matters most. And if we live like that, ready to speak when the moment comes, who knows what could happen? Because look what Daniel did. We've got more to this story to see next week. But it's clear from what we've even seen today that Nezer, the most powerful dictator in the world, is transformed into a believer in the living God. So if you, a Christian, you bank on the right kingdom and you live out in humility and you speak up in truth when the moment comes, who knows what might happen through you? Let's pray. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Lord, no matter who rules our lives at the moment, we want to trust and live out that you rule eternally. We pray in the places where you have put us, you will let us live out Jesus' humble kingdom. You'll help us trust Jesus' humble service of us and put others first. And we pray for amazing things to come of that. We pray for all the people who surround us that we can't imagine coming to trust Jesus. And we pray they will find a way to come and take shade from Jesus' tree planted in humility. And Lord, how we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.